And we are going to continue in this study of God's will this evening. We, we had examined in such passages such as uh, 2 Thessalonians 5. If you want to turn over there, 2 Thessalonians 5, and looking in verse 16, uh, we examined passages such as rejoice always. And in verse 17, pray without ceasing. In verse 18, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we looked at how it was possible for us to rejoice always. How it was possible to pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. And in fact, we looked at how these things were interconnected. And how if we were doing these things, if we were giving thanks in everything, it would lead to a prayer, a prayer life that is considered without ceasing. Which would lead to rejoicing always. And so in continuing in our study of this, in God's will for you, I want to, to look at another passage. Turn back from 2 Thessalonians, back to, uh, excuse me, that was 1 Thessalonians. Stay in 1 Thessalonians and turn to uh, chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and look in verse 3. That is what we're going to be talking about this evening. 1 Thessalonians 4 3 reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's what I want to talk about this, this evening. So our sanctification. This word sanctify, it comes from words that... or the sanctification comes from words sanctify, from, from other words related to this, such as, as holy, or consecrated, or saint. They all come from the same Greek word, uh, a word that I'm going to try my best to pronounce, hagazo. Hagazo. I probably said that wrong. I looked at it a hundred times, but I can't remember exactly how you pronounce it now. Hagazo. And that, it just comes from this same idea. To make holy. We talked a little bit about this last week. The idea of sanctuary. Uh, another word coming from the idea of sanctify. To set apart for a special purpose. We think of wildlife sanctuaries. Land that has been purchased and set apart so wildlife can flourish there. Can grow uninhibited. Sanctification is a term today that is oftentimes misunderstood. And so as we reflect on what God's will is for us related to sanctification, I want to start with the fact that we need sanctification. We need sanctification. And in understanding this need, we need to first understand that God is holy. Now you might think, well, of course that's, that's a, the truth, but it's good for us to understand this in the, in the light of our own sanctification. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus 11, verse 44, where we're going to be reading from. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God has called us into His grace, who has called us into His grace, is a holy God. And He asks for us to set ourselves apart, to consecrate ourselves. And to be holy. This idea is, is repeated again in 1 Peter, if we want to flip over here. We'll have several passages to, to turn around from today. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, we read, "...as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." So our need for sanctification stems from the fact that God is holy, and we too need to be holy. We need to be, as it was put in Exodus, we need to be like a special people. In Exodus uh, verse 19, or chapter 19, excuse me, Exodus 19 and verse 5. 
We read, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to Me above all people, for all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now we see this in Israel being the special people of God. But we are as well to be this special people of God. If, if you maybe marked your, your place back over in 1 Peter, flip back there real quick. Uh, and I apologize, I would have told you that if I had been thinking ahead. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, we read the same exact terminology about us today. You are a chosen generation in verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of, out of darkness and into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." We see that, that we have this need to set ourselves apart. There was a time when we were not uh, a, a chosen people, a chosen generation. There was a time when we were not saved. But having been saved, we need to set ourselves apart. We need to sanctify ourselves, to make ourselves holy as God who has saved us is holy. Because of this fact, because God is holy, and because we are to be holy, let's consider what is taught concerning our state of sanctification. Because there are different states of sanctification. The first one being that the fact that Christians are sanctified. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend a little bit of time here this evening. 1 Corinthians. And just go ahead and go right to the, verse, the, the very first chapter of the book. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and when we consider the church of Corinth, we consider that it was made up of people who were sanctified. Look in verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who are in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. What we see is the church was made up of people who were sanctified. And we can even turn over to chapter 6 and look at verse 11 and see the same thing. Uh, and such were some of you. He's talking about these, these uh, sins that were going on in, first, in the Corinthian area. But he says, some were, uh, such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. But something I want you to notice, while the church was made up of those who were sanctified, in verse 3, we see that they were still considered babes. They were even considered carnal in chapter 3. excuse me. And I, brethren, in verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So thus we see that while Christians, not being perfect, they are still considered sanctified. In fact, they are called saints. Now this term saint just, just simply means that one who is recognized as being holy. And Christians are called saints. Uh, note the use in, back in, verse, uh, in Romans 1. I didn't put all these down here. I didn't plan on turning to all of them. But back in, in, in Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.2, Philippians 1.1, Colossians 1.2, all these letters to these churches, they, they were all referred to. The Christians in every situation were refer, referred to as saints. 
This was said because they had been set apart. This was said because it, and it was appropriate to be called by that name, saints. And what I want you to understand is this is considered, this is called positional sanctification. Sanctification by the position that God has placed us in. God having sanctified us through the blood of Jesus. But we also need to consider the fact that Christians are being sanctified. Sanctification is also something that is an ongoing process. It's something that just doesn't end at conversion. Turn over to Hebrews 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, we read of those who are being sanctified. In chapter 2, verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. What we see is it begins at conversion. This is true. Sanctification does begin at conversion, but it continues as we grow in faith. It continues as in 1 Thessalonians 5:23. Close to where our passages have all been coming from, uh, coming from. In First Thessalonians five twenty three, Paul exhorts he 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 encourages and prays for the Thessalonians. He says, "But now uh, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blamelessly at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now you think of the language he uses here that your whole body, or spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved. Another word for a game, uh, for a wildlife sanctuary, and maybe a game preserve. He was saying still in this idea that sanctification is going on, and I pray that God will complete your sanctification. You will continue to grow in, in your sanctification, that you will finally be preserved at the day of judgment, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, as Christians, we are to pursue. We are to pursue this sanctification. Uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. Since we're since we're very close to this passage, we haven't gone too far away. Let's flip on over there. Hebrews twelve fourteen. The Hebrews were admonished to pursue this uh, this sanctification. In verse fourteen, we read, "Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will seek the Lord." This idea of holiness is the same as this idea of sanctification. To pursue this ever attempt to to make yourself holy, to set yourself apart. And uh, then again in Corinthians, as we read earlier, 2 Corinthians uh, 7.1. Actually, we didn't read this one, but we'll flip over there and read it now. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Just another time where Paul was commanding the Corinthians... To, to have this, what would be going to be considered practical sanctification. Sanctification through our practices. And that's what I want to take a look at for the remainder of our study. Our practice of sanctification. Our practice of sanctification. Since we're here in 2 Corinthians, let's turn over to chapter 6. In, in, in general terms, we see that our practice of sanctification should separate us from the world. In chapter 6, verse 14, we read, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteous with the lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the, the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall, you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> what we see here is Christ, or, or is, uh, is Paul talking about how God wants us to, to have these things that, that, that we should be separated from. He, he uses things that contradict each other, like, like the uh, righteous and the lawless, like the light and the dark. Like Christ and Belial, the believer and the unbeliever. He uses these things to say we should be separate. You can't have lightness in dark. These things are separate from one another and we should be separate from the world in our attempts and our practice of sanctification. 1 Peter 4 goes on to tell us that we should be separate from the world in conduct. 1 Peter 4 verses 1-4 through 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of man, or for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. <clears throat> for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that, do, that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. We are to be in our conduct, even a conduct that we might have once partook in in our lives. We are not to be of that conduct anymore. We are to be separate. In fact, it says that they, were, they would go on to, to think it's strange that we not be like them. We are so different from them. They think it's strange they even spoke evil uh, of the people. But in general terms, this is what our practice of sanctification should look like. But as we, we studied in 1 Thessalonians, where we, where we took our, our, uh, our, our opening text from, let's look at what 1 Thessalonians 4 has to say about our sanctification. The first thing it says right there in verse 3 that we are to abstain from sexual immorality. Let's read this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And that means that it involves having sexual, sexual morality. And that is the idea of abstaining from any sort of sexual activity outside the bonds of, of a marriage ordained by God. A marriage that, that God views as, as binding and lawful. But going on in the verse 4, we get even more detail that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Now likely here, vessel refers to our bodies. If you want to hold your place here and flip over to 2 Corinthians. Back over in 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> in verse 7, we read, but, as, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We understand what he's talking about here is being our bodies and the earthen vessel being our body. We are to have a, a possession, uh, uh, each one to have a possession of his own vessel. But going on, we read in verse 5 that we are to not to give ourselves over to lust. In verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Who do not know God, who as Ephesians 4 says, were in ignorance. Flip over there real quick to Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 through 19. We read this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness, uncleanness with greediness. What he was saying is you're not like these Gentiles. You don't, have, don't, don't give yourself over to the ignorance of God. You know what God says. And even goes so far as in Romans 13 says, don't even give yourself opportunity for these, these, uh, these unclean acts, for this lust. In Romans 13, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. He's saying, stay so far away from this. Don't even give yourself the opportunity to fall into this dangerous situation. Going on in verse 6, the beginning of verse 6, we read that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner. What he's talking about here is, is the idea of committing adultery. In the immediate context, committing adultery, especially against a brother's wife or, or fornication with a, with a brother's daughter or sister, with another man's daughter or sister. And he goes on to say why in the latter part of verse 6. He says, um, <clears throat> is the, is the, uh, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testified. Now we know that this is true, that God will avenge those who practice immortality. Look over at Romans 1.27. This is something that we see in the immediate days, uh, you know, right now, what goes on in our own lives around us. We see God avenging those who live in immorality. In verse 27 of the first chapter of Romans, "...likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman..." Burning in their, uh, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Now what was that exact penalty? We don't know, but we can look back or we can look around us today and see the penalty of living a sexual immoral, uh, immoral life. Uh, you know, we look at those who have suffered because of STDs for the choices they have made. We look at the unplanned marriages and a lot of times abortions that come from those unplanned, uh, or unplanned pregnancies. The unplanned marriages that come from those unplanned pregnancies and sometimes even the abortions that, that result from that. We look at the broken families. We look at, at spouses that, that separate just because they, they had children so early they weren't ready for that immoral or for that life. And because of that immorality, they were forced to try and go ahead and marry at a young age and it doesn't work and it falls apart. And we see the children suffering. We see, see children brought up in a painful time when they, when they, when they just have one ch- uh, parent maybe. So we can obviously see how, how God avenges those who practice His immorality in this day. But also in Galatians 5, we read how He will avenge those in the coming days as well. In Galatians 5, reading about, uh, we understand it's talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit. But in verses uh, 19, we read, "...now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, all of which describe immoral actions. 
And he says, which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in the time in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. God will avenge those who practice immorality. Those who aren't sanctifying themselves to a a reason of holiness. And that's just what verse 7 goes on to say, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but rather into holiness. He called us into holiness. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 plays more on this. "Knowing uh, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, that we have been chosen by God, and then looking over at the second chapter, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into His own kingdom and glory. He hasn't called us into uncleanness. He chose us for a reason. He chose us, as it said in verse 12, to walk worthy of God. To walk worthy of His kingdom. Worthy of His glory. And then finally, in verse 8, we see that rejecting these teachings is to reject God Himself. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us His Holy Spirit. Let's think about that for a moment. The Spirit who is promised to all who obey. If you are are jotting these down, Acts 2, 38-39 talks about this. Acts 5, 32. Galatians 4, 6. These all talked about the Spirit who is promised. The Holy Spirit is promised to us if we will obey. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 6, though. This has been very important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 6, and looking at verse 18. I did write those down. Uh, 18 going through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you are, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is God's. We see that, that, we are to, that we, the Spirit who dwells in our bodies, if we are rejecting these teachings, we are rejecting that, that, that Spirit. And something that's really important for us to understand, that what that Spirit does for us. Turn over to Galatians now. Galatians 5. We just were here and reading the first part of this. Now we're going to continue on in 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What This is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. The Spirit that we might be rejecting by rejecting these teachings is the same Spirit that helps us to have this self-control. This self-control to sanctify ourselves, to set ourselves apart. You know, over in Ephesians 3, probably just a page or two over in your Bibles, Ephesians 3, verse 16. He that would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And going down to verse 20, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundant, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That power is the Spirit. The Spirit working in us, giving us the ability to do this, to sanctify ourselves. So in conclusion, God's will for you, His will for you is to be sanctified in body and in spirit. And I know we just read it, but I'm going to put it up on the board again. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 18-20. We read in this passage that we are to flee immorality. 
But we were focusing in here on the fact that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And our body belongs to the Lord. Now consider this. Consider the fact that our body is the temple. And consider Jesus, how He reacted uh, whenever people would defile the temple. Jesus cast out those who were selling goods in His Father's temple. He wasn't happy about that. He made every effort to sanctify the temple. His Father's temple. We see the importance Jesus put on this, but we need to recognize that we today are that temple. We are the temple, and we should have that same attitude with ourselves to sanctify ourselves, to cast out all things that would defile our Father's temple, the temple that is within us. So my question for you tonight is, are you taking sanctification seriously? Are you taking it seriously? Because it is God's will for you. By the grace of God, such sanctification has been made possible. We're going to sing a song in just a moment about this. If you want to open up to 276, there is power in the blood. This sanctification has been made possible through the blood of Christ. The blood that was shed on the cross that cleanses us from our sins. A blood that that we come into contact with through baptism. When we believe in Him, when we have faith in Him, and, and a faith and a belief that spurs us to this obedience... We have that power, but we also see that this sanctification is an ongoing sanctification. Something that doesn't just stop at conversion. Are we taking sanctification seriously? I ask that you consider these things tonight as as we stand and sing number 276, There's Power in the Blood.